we are going to start in two weeks, actually, studying the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. As we walk through that book together, expository preaches what we like to do here at King's Chapel. We'll, we'll learn what Luke has to say and what Luke was inspired to write about the coming of Jesus and the work of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. We're actually going to call this series Mission to the World because we see that Jesus in Luke, we see that it opens up with Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament. What we've learned in Isaiah is that Jesus came not only to save the Jewish people but to save all people of all nations and he's a light to the Gentiles and I think it's interesting we went through Isaiah and now we're being led into Luke and we'll see that Jesus' mission is for the whole world. So we'll we'll be looking at that together. Uh, in the next two weeks. So um, turn in Matthew, if you would. Um, again, we're having baptism. You might ask, maybe you're here and you're not really sure, like, why would we do baptisms? Like, wh- why, what's up with being dunked in a tank of water? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Jesus made it clear when he died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures, Paul says. He was buried, raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He appeared to his disciples, and in chapter 28 of, of Matthew, um, it says in verse 16 that the disciples and the apostles went to Galilee to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And while they were there, they saw him. They worshipped him. Uh, here's the man who was crucified and buried for three days, alive and well. They, grew up, they worshipped him. Some doubted. They're still working through the process. Maybe you're here this morning working through the process. I would say take your doubts. Take them to God. Don't use your doubts to run from God. If you have questions, God's big enough to answer your questions. Take your doubts to him. Some doubted. And then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptizo, emerge, full submission in water. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The command for his disciples, his followers, is to make disciples. Disciples, that's the imperative. We talked about that. That is the command, is to make disciples. All the other uh, things in that text are participles. They're, they're showing the manner and modifying the command to make disciples. So as you make disciples, you do that by going as you go, and then you baptize your disciples, and then you teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's what we do. So followers of Christ are commanded to follow him and to call other people to follow him. And all those who hear the gospel, who respond to the gospel, who respond to follow Jesus by repentance and faith, uh, are commanded to be baptized. That's why we're baptizing. It's the first step of following Jesus. He said, be baptized. Um, That's what we're doing this morning. But let me remind you, let's just just draw back the uh, curtain just a little bit to remind that over the past week we've been talking about what is the disciple and what is the disciple maker? What is, what is the purpose? If you remember, we said that God from eternity past to eternity future has been doing all things to display his glory. It's the ultimate purpose. His infinite and intrinsic value, his, his greatness, his perfection, his, his holiness, his majesty, his preeminence, his beauty, his, his unsurpassable worth in himself uh, above all things. And that's what he does. He displays his glory to the world. John Piper and people like Jonathan Edwards, even C.S. Lewis, pointed out that our joy and our happiness and God's glory are not at odds with one another because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And we're satisfied and we get a, when we get this 
glimpse of the infinite glory and the greatness of his perfections. And family, right? He gets the glory, we get the joy. <laughs> Last week we talked about that, several verses of scripture. In Isaiah 48, 11, God chose to defer his anger for his glory. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4, God chose his people for his glory. Isaiah 46, God created us for his glory. You get to the New Testament, Jesus endured his final hours for the glory of God. He said he would answer prayer so that God would be glorified. Second Thessalonians, Jesus' ultimate aim for us is to see and enjoy his glory over and over and over again. We saw that last week. We said that God's ultimate purpose in creation and redemption is for the purpose of displaying his glory. And our greatest need and our greatest fulfillment is the glory of God. It's to worship him, to see him in his beauty, and to see him in his glory. We saw that in Genesis 1 and 2. But in Genesis 3, things changed, right? Sin entered the world and things began to unravel. But God made a promise that he would restore humanity, and that's what the gospel is, restoring humanity, so that we can be what God has called us to be, and that is glorifying saints. And we can only do that when we have a right relationship with him. And we saw that in Isaiah, and we see that throughout the Old Testament, that God intervened. Genesis 3.15, promise made to Abraham, uh, excuse me, to Adam and to Noah, and the covenant made to Abraham that he would bless the whole world, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant that you will have a king who will reign and rule in righteousness. We saw the shadows and pictures, and we, we love to preach from the Old Testament here. We see all the shadows and pictures and symbols of the Old Testament pointing to the coming of Christ. He is the one, Isaiah says, will be the light to the nations. He's the, he's the ultimate anointed one, Messiah. He's the ultimate servant, uh, the suffering servant who dies, Isaiah 53. He's the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king. And he would come and he would embody the glory of God. We see that in John 1. And the word... See, in John 1, 1, the Word was with God, the Word is God. In John 1, 14, uh, uh, the Word became flesh, as Jesus dwelt, he tabernacled among us, and we have seen what? His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We saw in Isaiah that he will share his glory with no one, the infinite glory of God he shares with no one. And when Jesus says he has come and he is, he is the, the glory is the only glory of the Father, it's because he is one with the Father. He's eternal he is God himself in the flesh. God has always been about declaring his glory. And there's no greater place, and it's very important that we understand this, there's no greater place in all of creation where the infinite glory has been manifested, displayed and demonstrated at the cross of Jesus Christ. The immeasurable love of God meets the, the holiness of God, the justice of God. It's a place where sin and, 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 and rebellion is punished because righteousness means Sin will be punished. You, you have to, in order to, to remain just, to remain righteous, you have to punish sin. And God punishes sin on the cross, where his holiness is, is displayed, justice is served, satisfied, and love, grace, and mercy is extended to us. That's what the cross is all about. And sinners like you and I can receive the forgiveness of God, and God can remain just in his righteousness by punishing his son. So we said, we saw that in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't have to go there now, Ephesians 1, 4 as well, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 6, Ephesians 1, 4 and 6. So we've been saying all along that the mission of God, the goal and the, and the, and the aim of God has always been the manifestation, the display of God, uh, of his glory, and it's an ancient story, it goes back from Genesis, not Matthew 28. Secondly, we, we said that God's ultimate goal and aim is seen and displayed, his glory is seen, displayed, and treasured in the person and work of Christ. And the premise I said last week is that 
the, the work of God to manifest his glory and the command to make disciples where his glory has been revealed in the person of Christ are inseparably linked. So they could, could be the same thing because the ultimate purpose of discipleship is the glory of God. That the holiness of God and the justice of God and the love of God meets in Christ. In Christ. He has chosen. He has chosen. God has made it clear and he has chosen to get glory by gathering a people together for himself, to forgiving them of their sins, to, to take out what we deserve on Jesus between the Father, Son, and the Spirit, one God, work of salvation, that we gather to praise his name, to thank him and to worship him and to show his glory forgiving us of our sins, that we may be glorifying saints. That's what 1 Corinthians is all about. So, so whether we eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, covers it all. Do it all for the glory of God. So the command as you are going, make disciples, to participate in what God is doing, displaying his glory. There's a man by the name of Dr. Thomas Schreiner, brilliant theologian. He was right when he says the ultimate purpose for mission, make disciples, the mission of God, saving the lost. The ultimate purpose for mission is the glory of God so that his name will be manifested among all peoples. End quote. Now, the process of discipleship begins with the call of Christ to follow him. We said that through repentance and faith, turning from your sin, trusting in Christ. And this happens when God's people, God, this is another way God chose to do it. He chose to use you and I in Romans 10, how beautiful the feet of those who preach good news. He chose to use you and I to declare the good news of Jesus Christ to others. And according to Jesus' command in Matthew 28, it begins by a call to come and follow Jesus, to repent and believe on Jesus, to follow him and then be baptized. That's what Matthew 28 says. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. Okay? If you remember... We said that a, a disciple is simply a learner, a, a learner, someone who, is, who has been called to follow a rabbi, a teacher in Jesus' day, not just learn from him, but to live with him and do what he also does. We said last week that the rabbi, when he called a young disciple, he had authority over that disciple. He, he would interpret scripture. He would show them how to live righteously, and that young disciple would then submit to the teacher's authority. Jesus takes it to the umpth level, of course, because he has all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And in Matthew 8, 34, we saw last week that Jesus said, come, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Disciples are called to deny themselves and to lose themselves for Christ and the gospel. The very, we saw this last week, the very core of your being, the very personhood, your very identity as, as we walk with him and live for him and live with him. And the purpose is, is to be like him and, and to do what he is doing as we follow Christ. With Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, we are listening, learning, growing, and doing what Jesus is doing, we are also doing. Building our identity, growing in obedience, growing in maturity. It's a lifelong process. And, and we talked about last week, we got to two out of the three things. I mentioned um, to you in, um, in, let me move this to two slides, hold on. I mentioned a book that I read, his name is um, Jim Putman. Uh, and it really just takes this 
whole process of discipleship and, and boils it down to three things. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Remember last week we talked about the Word of God, how discipleship, and you're learning and growing about Jesus and learning to follow Jesus. It's, it's paramount that we are in the Word of God. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth, for thy word is truth. It is vital for disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, you're here today, in the process that we are, we are being instructed and we feed on the teaching and the commands and the instructions of Christ. That's how we grow. That's how we grow. That's how we come together. That's how we spur one another on to the commands of Christ through the word of God. It has the final say in all that we do and all that we believe. We said last week also the role of the work of the Holy Spirit. That we are not just left as orphans, but God has given to us the Holy Spirit in our salvation, in our experience of new birth. Every single follower of Christ has been born anew, and the Spirit dwells within us, and that the, the Spirit leads us and guides us, and, and although we have a role to play, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that does the final transformation. We can't transform ourselves. The Holy Spirit transforms us, but there's a part to play. And uh, let me go back to, if you guys could go back to a Philippians. Yeah, Philippians 2. I mentioned 1 Peter last week. Let me give you a new verse. It talks about God's work of final, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, transforming the heart of believers and discipling them and learning and teaching about Jesus, the work of God in us. But there's a responsibility that we play as well. Look at Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, Paul writes to the church of Philippi, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence... But much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Not work in your salvation, work out salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God by the grace of God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, reverence and awe. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We could say for his glory. It's God's working in us. Aren't you glad? I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I could not imagine living my life before I came to faith in Christ with the same desires that I had before. And some people are just afraid or, or, or concerned that, you know, I, I'm clinging to these things. And, and if, I, if I walk with Jesus, everything's going to change. Yes, praise God it does. You start loving the things he loves. You start uh, hating the things he hates. And you start loving people, people that maybe you would not love before. You start having the love of God in your heart. And you're loving people. He's changing you from the inside. And yeah, it's our responsibility to do things like reading Scripture, studying Scripture, praying, sacrificing our time, our talents, our finances, living on mission, gathering for worship, evangelizing, loving people. We get to do all those things. But listen, it, 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 it's through the grace of God. And it's very important that we understand that there is a part to play, that we, we make decisions along the way. The Bible tells us that we are to yield to the Spirit. We are to be filled with the Spirit. We are to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a miracle of God. But we have a role to play. And what I, that's where we ended, really. I mean, that's kind of a backdrop, some new information as well. But one of the things I want to talk about before we leave here, and we ended last week, is that, and listen carefully, all our obedient efforts and our sacrifices that we make must, must, must flow from the gospel. Or it will produce self-righteous folks who thinks they are better than everybody else and no one is doing as good as they are. Or 
self-defeating folks who could never live up to their own standard. If obedience and sacrifice does not flow from the gospel, and it flows by what you do, you will either be, have a superiority complex, look how good I'm doing, or an inferiority complex, I could never do anything for God, right? But the gospel shows us our sin, yes, but empowers us by the grace of God to overcome our sins and habits when we rest in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Jesus taught his disciples in John 15, right? You want to bear fruit, you have to what? Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the gospel, apart from Jesus, who is the gospel, you can do nothing. No eternal value. Here at King Chapel, one of our core values, we have EIC, Eternity Identity Community. Identity has to do with gospel transformation. We stress here at King's Chapel that it is not just the gospel that saves you, rescues you, and brings you into a relationship with God, but it is the gospel that transforms you. It's the truth of the gospel as we apply it to our lives, as we appropriate it in our lives, as we press it into our lives, as we live it out in every facet of our lives, the gospel. Especially when dealing with sin, brokenness. So the answer to our bitterness, the answer to unforgiveness is the gospel. A recognition that if our sin was left unforgiven, it would be eternal wrath, eternal separation from God. Ephesians tells us that we're dead in our sin. We all live by the passions of our flesh. We're all by nature children of wrath. But it was God who was rich in mercy. Because of his great love, he has loved us. Even when we're dead in our sins, made us alive. We didn't do it. Dead people don't respond. It is God that's doing the work. And it's by grace you've been saved. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. So how can I not forgive someone? How can I be bitter towards someone? We are when we are not living out the truth of the gospel. We're dealing with greed, the answer is to the gospel. Covetousness, the answer is the gospel. We, we are to see the enormous generosity of salvation in the gospel as we give of our time, talents, and, our, and, our, and our, uh, all, all that we have. That is why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9 that this, this poor church in Corinth was giving financial help to, to back in Jerusalem to Judah, the, to the Judea area because they were struggling. They, they were, it was a famine in the land. And Paul says that the church in Corinth gave this money out of the confession of the gospel. The surpassing grace that was upon them. It was, it, was, it was the generosity of Christ who gave his life for them that propelled them into generosity. If we struggle with hatred or racism, the answer is the gospel. We recognize that everyone, every culture, every economic, every social position comes to Christ the same way. Deeply flawed, broken, and sinful, who was once an enemy of God, deserving hell and wrath, are now recipients of the wondrous beauty and glorious gift of salvation. How could you look down on anybody? We're to look at no one according to the flesh. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all things, into all the truth, excuse me, and he will glorify me, Jesus talking. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is the gospel. So God is all about spreading his glory to all the nations from the very beginning. It's his ultimate goal and his, and his pleasure. Therefore, the purpose of discipleship is the spreading of the glory of God. The, the, the purpose and the person is the Lord Jesus Christ. His, where we see the glory of God is insurmountable worth and incalculable values. Is, is just manifested and, and treasured and seen and displayed on the cross. And the discipleship process 
begins by turning from your sin, repenting, turning from your sin, following Jesus, being baptized, and then be instructed to observe Matthew 28 again, all that Christ has commanded you. So we are called to read the Word of God, to rely upon the Holy Spirit as we rehearse the gospel, as we apply the gospel, our lives and, and the work of the Holy Spirit will transform our lives to be more like Him. Last, the process of discipleship of gathering together the work of the church, the people of God. Growing in the likeness of Christ as we come together and growing in the likeness of Christ as we scatter to the world to make mission, as missionaries for the purpose of making disciples. It's a gathering and a scattering, okay? Gathering and a scattering. Here at King's Chapel, what you may hear, for some of you that are new, it's what we call monastic gathering and missional gathering. The monastic comes from the word monastery, where they would gather together for the reading of the word, for prayer, for encouragement, to gather together with God's people as the word of God is preached and responded to, and we encourage and strengthen one another. That's monastic. The missional aspect of it is how we live our lives as missionaries. Let me begin by just reminding everybody here. Everyone in this room, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, you are a disciple. You're a disciple. You, 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 and I teach others. You and I are being taught. We're, we're all learning and listening and following patterns and being taught about things in life, that how do I become a, a, a person of value? How can I find a place of real belonging? And everyone's a disciple maker. People are listening to you, listening to your stories, listening to your values on how you find yourself worthwhile. We are all disciples, and we're all making disciples. And if you're not a disciple of Christ, you will become a disciple of the culture. You'll become a disciple of the media. Unfortunately, some of us are becoming a disciples of politics. All kinds of messages groping for our attention, shaping our worldview. You need this. You need that. You, you got to have this. You want to be a person of value, a person who's wanted, someone who's important. I mean, just watch commercials. If I just put on that cologne, right? Certainly our enemy would be more than happy to, to lie and to teach us things on how to get stuff and how that stuff could really matter and really you know, tell me who I am and find value and purpose and meaning. What really matters? You see, it is the word of God, the spirit of God that leads us to all truth and reveals to us the beauty of Christ as we gather together, guiding us as we follow Christ together. And it's the responsibility, I, I will say, of the pastoral team, the leaders of the church, the pastors, to teach it. Paul told young pastor Timothy in chapter 2, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He tells young pastor Titus that pastors, elders, same person, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to instruct in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Therefore, discipleship, learning, and teaching others are being taught to others, teaching others to love, to be to, to encourage, to grow, and to mature, cannot happen outside the local church. There's no such thing, and I have this conversation for I don't know how many years. There's no such person in this book that is a follower of Christ that is not 
connected to a local church, period. Say anything you want, doesn't matter. The Word of God says when you become a child of God and you've been baptized into his spirit, the Spirit has been uh, given to you, and you are now in Christ and Christ is in you, you also belong to God's people. Fight it if you may. But we're connected to each other. It's just the way it is. It's the way God designed it, that we grow together. Titus 2.4, older women train younger women. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul trained Timothy. Why? To train others, to train others, to train others. Ephesians 6.4, fathers train your children. Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 3, excuse me, and Hebrews 10, followers are to exhort one another every day to avoid sin and to stir one another up to love and good works. 1 Peter 4, Christians are given spiritual gifts for what? To serve one another. In reality, it is the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together with and in and through the people of God. Even if you just look in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, just you get a chance, maybe later today. Just look what it says, this barrage of, of, of comments that Paul is making about how we grow together, mature together. Be devoted to one another, honor one another, share with the Lord, uh, the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Willing, be willing to associate with people of low position. Right? Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in everyone's eyes. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, why? Live at peace with everyone. He's talking about the community. Disciples are made in community, not in isolation. Discipleship involves many different things, but it's important as we gather together that we teach each other and we learn from one another how to read, how to understand, how to respond, to obey, and to apply God's word and the gospel together. Discipleship, I'm going to make it really simple, is truth transferred through meaningful relationships. It's that simple. Life on life, not in a vacuum. Spending time together. Seeking to develop one another. Scheduling time with one another. It's relational and it's intentional. Scheduling time, sharing a meal. It requires that we have... We sacrifice our time, sacrifice our energy. Listen to this one. Sacrifice our emotions in one another if we're going to fulfill the call of disciple-making disciples. And I think that's one of the main reasons, and you can answer this for yourself. You can talk about it in your community groups. I think it's one of the main reasons that we are not involved really in the process of discipleship is because it takes too much time. Or, you know, it, it, it can be messy. Let's be honest, it could be messy. I have to work things out in the gospel. It, it could be messy. Um, it, it could also be very revealing. I don't want people to know what I'm struggling about. As we, as we, as we share in our lives with one another, our burdens, our, our brokenness, our bad habits. Jesus gave himself to his disciples. Jesus freely gave himself, disclosed his life and ministry. He taught them the scripture. He talked about the Holy Spirit. And, and la ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we have to give ourselves to one another, to those whom God has called us to serve and to transfer this, 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 this walk of wisdom, this godly wisdom and character as we disciple one another, whether you're mature and you're discipling those who are less mature in the gospel or those who are more mature than you, 
that are discipling you. I, 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 when I look at the discipleship process, many times when I'm working with younger guys that are, that are newer in the Lord, that are more mature, uh, not as mature in the Lord or grown in the Lord as I am, they're still teaching me. I, I would never get to the place. I would never get to the place where I was like, oh, I can't learn nothing. And yet there are other men in my life that are much more mature than I am that I need to lean in to press in and call and, and to be discipled by them as well. It's a, it's a two-way street. It should always be a two-way street. We do it here, as mentioned before, in community groups. That's how we, that, that's the main goal of our, that's the main and primary way in which we disciple. But there are other things we do. We had a men's retreat, you just saw, of almost 40 guys went out. Ladies are meeting next week. It's another way of discipleship. That's why we do it. Monday nights, the ladies are meeting in Galatians 5. A couple of months ago, the guys met, we do a, um, we did Nehemiah together. Um, so there, there are other ways that we can disciple one another, learn and grow and mature together. Our main way is what we would call the air war ground war. The air war is Sunday morning as we gather together um, and we, 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 we preach the gospel, we share the word. The pastors are obligated and um, are uh, committed to, to sharing the truth of the word of God. Uh, and then we gather together in small groups. There's 16 groups that are meeting right now uh, around the Capitol District, right? So that air war on Sunday, ground war as we get together and we, and we work together in the gospel and share life together. Um, and and that, that's how we do it here. Are you, are you connected? Are you in a community group? Are you coming out to some of the other things that are going on? All this for the purpose of discipleship, to learn to grow and to mature in the faith. The word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. So that's the monastic aspect. But last, before we break and go to baptism, I want to talk about the scattering aspect as missionaries. We are to gather together and scatter as missionary. Discipleship is intentional, it's relational, and it's purposeful. It's not only growing in the gospel, it's also making disciples, okay? Remember in chapter eight, 4 of Matthew again. Let me read to you verse 18 and 19. Jesus, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. And he said to them, it wasn't one... Together, he said to them, they're not alone, together, follow me and I will make. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing it in your life. I am making you something, and that is I am making you fishers of men. If you're going to follow me, you're going to fish, right? That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus is doing. No exceptions, no excuses. And, and I will say this. Listen carefully. The gospel that we preach here at King's Chapel, the gospel that you preach from your own mouth, the gospel we believe, the gospel we're demonstrating, the gospel we're declaring will determine what kind of disciples we're making. Winfield Bevan's grow, book called Grow, uh, Reproducing Through Organic Discipleship. He says, there's an important connection between the gospel and discipleship. Our theology has a direct effect on our ministry and discipleship. In many ways, our discipleship is the Church leaders can use church growth principles to add people to the church. However, only the gospel can grow people into disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. God-glorifying disciples will produce God-glorifying disciples. Christ-centered, gospel-centered disciples will produce Christ-centered, gospel-centered disciples. Christ-following, Christ-obeying disciples will produce Christ-following, Christ-obeying disciples. Reproduction is the trajectory of discipleship, and the best way to do that is through evangelism, personal evangelism, missional living, demonstrating the gospel through our lives. Authentic, transparent followers of Christ. Let your light shine before men. A light, 
people will see. People will see the change. People see the love. People see the mercy. But, but we're not called just to do that. We're not just spectators. We're not just saying, Pastor, you do the work of evangelizing through, through the preaching of the gospel. No. Our lives, no matter how bright the light is shining, does not remove a Christian's responsibility to share the faith. It gives them the opportunity to share the faith. Got that? No matter how light your bright is shining, how much you love and have mercy and care about people, which is a great thing to do, it now brings the opportunity to talk about Jesus, to open our mouth. It is a responsibility, not just of me in the passage, but of all of us, whether it's going overseas, being a mission around the world, or living right here as a missionary in your community. It is the Word of God, the people of God, the Spirit of God, as we learn and grow and make disciples. Think, through, think, think this through with me just for a minute. In Matthew 28... 18 through 20, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. That's, that's the command. As you're going, make disciples of all nations. And then what? Baptize them and then to teach them to obey what I command you. There are a lot of commands in Scripture. But what's the context? The context is to obey by making disciples. That's the command. The command is right in Matthew 28. So we get about what, what it is to, to teach one another, what it is to, to, to instruct one another to obey all the commands of Christ. But let's start with the one in Matthew 28. If Jesus is calling us to follow him and he's calling people out of darkness into light and he's asked us, commanded us to go ahead and make disciples, that's a command that we should follow. And if we're not following his command, then how, are we following Christ? Are we walking with him? That's what he's doing. Shouldn't we be doing that? See, love will compel us to mission. We are commanded. It's an imperative. I get that. And it's a duty. It is an obligation. I get that. But duty can be fragile. And, and, and you know, th this kind of I have to, this mandate can get tired after a while. But I'll tell you what never gets old. Love never gets old. Do you love your family? Do you love your friends? Do you love... God's creation, God's people, uh, uh, when I say God's people, all of God's creation, all of those who, who've been created in the Imago Dei, love will have you go. Love will propel you to call people and to love them, to care for them and mercy upon them. And then God will use you to say, hey, Jesus says, come follow him. Turn from your sin. And, and let me just end with this. There's two types of evangelism, missional living, Living as missionaries, there's the go and tell, Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world. John 20, 21, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So there's this, this, this go and tell. Go and tell the good news. Go, go with the love of Christ and the power of the Spirit and tell people the good news of Jesus. And then there's this come and see. Philip found Nathaniel and said, we found the one that Moses and the law and the prophets spoke about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathanael said to him, can any good come from Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. And we invite them to church. I get that. But don't, don't, don't just neglect your responsibility to go into all the world, sharing the good news of the gospel, helping one another, growing together with one another. 
And then lastly, see this, is the promise. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That promise in Matthew 28 is for those who are involved in man to make disciples. So family, have space for the joy and the glory of God. Love God. Let us go and be disciples. Let's get connected with one another in community groups. Let's get connected with one another in other teaching times. But let's go also and share the good news of the gospel with people that so desperately need to Amen? Father, thank you for who you are and all that you are in the gospel. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your kindness and goodness. And God, it is very clear to us that we are not to uh, keep this to ourselves. Baptisms and declaration of the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name.